Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. This is a presentation by Shia Lectures. Uh, this is a Q&A session with uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen uh, on Pal Talk. Uh, we are going to ask him questions which were sent to us by email. Uh, the first question is by Sister Nargis. Uh, she asks, why isn't Imam Ali salam's name directly mentioned in the Quran when this issue seems so important? Second, why, why isn't there a place that Imam Ali claims to be the right Khalifa? Take the mic, uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen. Okay, the question has two sides. The first part is why Imam Ali's name is not mentioned in the Quran. The answer is by Imam Sadiq. Imam Sadiq answered this topic uh, in Al-Kafi Sharif, Volume 1, page 286, Hadith number 1. Over there, uh, Abu Basir asked Imam Sadiq, how come Imam Ali's name is not mentioned in the Quran? When, and he said that this is the argument of the Sunni. Imam Sadiq told him, tell those people, Allah uh, sent the order of the prayer in Quran to Prophet Muhammad without naming three rak'ah or four rak'ah. And also, uh, he sent the order of the zakah without saying that you have to uh, pay one dirham from each, from every forty dirham. And also, he sent the order of Al-Hajj without saying that you have to do seven uh, turnings in Al-Hajj. The number of the tawaf, it was not mentioned in Quran. So he said, he's saying that the order of Imam is there in Quran. Allah wa Rasul wa Amr minkum. Obey Allah and the Prophet and Ulil Amr. Who are Ulil Amr? What are their numbers? Where is the name of Imam Ali? All of these things can be taken from the Sunnah. If they say, if it's that important, how come it's not mentioned in Quran? We say the same thing for the prayer. If the prayer is that important, how come Allah never mentioned the number of the rak'ah? While he mentioned the number of the witnesses, for example, when it comes to divorcing issues, Allah speaks about the number of the witnesses. What do you think? Do you think that this issue is more important than the prayer, which we practice every day? This is absolutely not true. So by this, by this argument by Imam Sadiq, we can conclude that Allah never claimed that He will put the important issues in Quran and then the less important issues in the Sunnah. He never claimed this. And Prophet Muhammad never mentioned this. It is just an assumption that is made by some people who do not know Quran or the Hadith. Whoever makes this assumption or claim, he must bring it from Quran. Did Allah claim this? Did Allah say that I'm going to put the important issues in Quran and then the less important issues in the Sunnah? No, he never did this. So, this assumption cannot be made. The second part of the question is, uh, how come Imam Ali never claimed that he is an Imam? Or never made this argument? The answer is, Imam Ali did make this argument in many hadith, in the Sunni and the Shia books. I'll take only two examples. The first example is mentioned in Najma' al-Zawaid, 
volume 9, page 104. And the hadith, as he said, Rawahu Ahmad wa Rijaluhu Rijalu Sahih. That Ahmad narrated this hadith, and the, narration, the narrators are the narrators of the Sahih hadith. Except Fatr bin Khalifa, wahua thiqa, that Fatr bin Khalifa is not the narrator of the, narrator of the authentic hadith, hadith. However, he is reliable. Okay? So this hadith is authentic that I'll mention right now. Also, Al-Albani, Nasruddin Al-Albani, in the Silsilat Al-Hadith Al-Sahih, volume 4, page 331, he said about this hadith, وَإِسْنَادُهُ صَحِيحَ عَلَى شَرْطِ الْبُخَارِ That this hadith is authentic according to the rules of Al-Bukhari. What does this hadith say? This hadith says that Imam Ali, when they wanted to choose him as a Khalifa after Uthman died, they came to him and told him that we want you to become a Khalifa. Imam Ali did not accept this until he told them, let's go to the mosque and do it there. When they went to the mosque, he asked the people in the mosque, who did hear Prophet Muhammad saying, Alastum tashhadun anni awla bil mu'minin anfushim? Ata'alamun anni awla bil mu'minin anfushim? Qalu bala, ya Rasulullah, qala man kuntu mawla fa'alayin mawla. In English it means, do you know that I am, I own the believers more than they do? They said, yes, Prophet Muhammad. He said, then whoever I own himself, then Ali own him. Okay. This is an argument by Imam Ali. Before he accepting the Khalifa, before he accepted the Khilafa, he first made people bear witness that they healed uh, this hadith. The hadith says that there are 30 people, or more than 30 people, say that yes, we did hear Prophet Muhammad saying this. Okay? What is Imam Ali's argument here? His argument is that if I accept Khilafah, I accept it because Prophet Muhammad said so, not because you do. Okay? So this is the first argument that is mentioned in the Sunni books with authentic hadith, with authentic chain, I mean. If someone believes that this hadith has nothing to do with Khilafah, and wilaya here or maula here means only what uh, wilaya usually mean. For example, in Surah number 9, verse 71, over there it says, it says Al-Mu'mineen wal-Mu'minat ba'dhuhum awliya' ba'd. Right? Believers, men and women, are protecting friends one of another. If this is what they understand from the hadith, then we tell them that this is a simple thing that everybody knows. This is a common sense. Imam Ali doesn't have to use or to make 30 people to admit this. He can just use that, that verse. And actually, he's not any, any, he doesn't have any special status with this. All believers have this status. So why is he using this argument in that day? Obviously, there is no meaning. Especially that if you look at the hadith, in the end of the hadith, the narrator says, فَخَرَجْتُ كَأَنَّ فِي نَفْسِي شَيْئًا I left the mosque, and there was something wrong in my heart toward this hadith. Why is, why did he have this, this thing toward this hadith? Obviously, because this hadith means something other than just friendship. It means wilaya, somebody who owns a person more than he does. Okay, so this was this guy was surprising, or surprised until he met Zaid bin Arqam, and Zaid bin Arqam told him. Do not be surprised, I've heard this hadith from Prophet Muhammad. Okay. 
So this is one uh, hadith that Imam Ali used it in his argument. Another hadith is mentioned in Musnad Ahmad bin Hanbal, hadith number 841, which is also authentic. If you want to know who authenticated this hadith, you can go to Kanzul Umman, volume 13, page 128, hadith number 36,408. Over there he says that this hadith is, has been authenticated by Ibn Jarir al-Tabari. And Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, as you know, he is a famous and strong Sunni scholar. What does this hadith say? This hadith says that Prophet Muhammad gathered his family and said about Imam Ali, who supports me and he's going to be my Khalifa in my family. Okay. Imam Ali said me uh, and accepted this. Okay. This status from Prophet Muhammad. This hadith has been narrated from Imam Ali using, using it as an argument. Okay, this is one. So Imam Ali does claim that he is a Khalifa and did use the hadith in which Prophet Muhammad said that Imam Ali is a Khalifa. Another chain is mentioned in Ma'alim Tanzil for Al-Baghawi, volume 4, page 278-279. Over there Prophet Muhammad says, who support me and then he's going to be my brother, my successor and the Khalifa on you. Imam Ali said me, then Prophet Muhammad said, إِنَّ هَذَا أَخِي وَوَصِيِّي لَهُ He's my brother, my successor. And the Khalifa on you, obey him and listen to him. Okay? So this hadith, also, when you go check the narrators, you can see that all the narrators are reliable. Inshallah, this answers the question. The mic is Thank you, uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen, for the clear answer. Now, the second question is, uh, some people claim that Lady Fatima's death isn't exactly true. How most Shias claim to say it, especially since most of the narrators, especially since most of the narrations are from Salim ibn Ghayf. Please elaborate. Uh, okay, Brother. See, why do, why do some Shia do not believe in this issue? It is up to them. The question should be directed to them. However, you can send me the problems and then I can discuss them. For example, the sister mentioned this problem about the chain, that the story has been mentioned mostly by Salim ibn Qais. His name is Salim ibn Qais. Okay? Uh, most of the hadith about what happened to Fatima has been narrated from Salim ibn Qais, so they think that this is a problem. So let me discuss this. And then if there is any problem with the incident, they can send it and we can answer it. Okay. Salim ibn Qais, we say that it is not true that most of the hadith has been narrated from him. Even though, if it was, if this issue is a fact, if this issue is true, that most of the hadith was narrated from Salim ibn Qais. Uh, we don't see a problem from this. We don't see that this is a problem. Why? I'll tell you why. Salim ibn Qais is a reliable narrator. He's a person, a companion of Imam Ali. And he, he is the first Shia who wrote a hadith book. Okay? And when you check 
his definition you're going to see that he is a reliable companion of Imam Ali. So he is truthful. If he narrates it, then he's right. And Imam Qais did not practice taqiyya in his book. He mentioned everything that he knew. He mentioned all the incidents without hiding anything. And this is what made the government uh, it, it made the government looking for him all the time. He, they were following him. Actually, we don't know how he died. The only thing that we know is that he was hidden in the year 77 for Al-Hijr. Okay? He was hidden during that year. Al-Hajjaj was looking for him. And we don't know what happened to him. His book uh, became famous among the Shia. And the Imams knew about that book. See, if he died in year 77, this means that he met Imam Ali, Imam Al-Hassan, Al-Hussein, Imam Zain Al-Abidin, and maybe Imam Al-Baqir, for sure, yes, he did meet Imam Al-Baqir. Maybe he did meet Imam Sadiq. And then the hadith became very famous through the Shia generation. We don't have any narration that the Imam says don't believe in Salim ibn Qais. Don't believe in that book. So this is an argument against him. If Salim ibn Qais wasn't reliable, and if he made up those stories, then the Imams would have told us, would have told the Shia, do not rely on this book. Whatever is mentioned in this book is, is wrong, and this was not made. Okay? This is, if we accept their argument that uh, most of the hadith can from the book of Salim ibn Qais. Now, uh, we can also refute this argument from this side. We can say that check the, the narrations that came from other the book of Salim ibn Qais and you will find many authentic hadith that mention the uh, incident. Okay. okay? I'll mention five of them. Five authentic hadith from our books mentioning the incident. Let's take them one by one. The first one is mentioned in Al-Kafi, volume 6, page 18. And the hadith is reliable. Al-Allam al-Majlisi in Jala al-Uyun, volume 1, page 222, he said, It's not the hadith It is a reliable chain. What does this hadith say? This hadith says that Imam Ali said, إن أسقاطكم إذا لقوكم يوم القيامة ولم تسموهم يقول السقط لأبيه ألا سميتني وقد سمى رسول الله محسنا قبل أن يولد إمام علي says that if you have an infant or a son that died in his mother's stomach then you should name him otherwise in the day of judgment he is going to tell you how come you didn't name me when Prophet Muhammad named المحسن before he was born so what does this mean this uh, proves that there was a person, his name is Al-Muhsin, and that he died in the stomach of his mother before he was born. This is one issue. Another hadith, which is also authentic, is mentioned in Al-Kafi, volume 1, page 458. Al-Majlisi, the first Majlisi, and the second Majlisi authenticated the hadith in Mar'at Al-Aqul, volume 5, page 315, and also in Rawdat Al-Muttaqeen, volume 5, page 342. They said, هذا الحديث صحيح. This is an authentic hadith. What does the hadith say? The hadith says that Imam al-Kadhim said, 
ان فاطمه صديقه شهيده that fatima is صديقه توصل and شهيده مارتف okay she died uh, in the in the path of allah so this is another hadith clearly saying that fatima died in the path of allah another hadith or a third hadith is mentioned in amal al-shaykh saduq page 118 shaykh al-majlisi in jalal ayun volume 1 page 189 he said that the chain of this hadith is mu'tabar, reliable. What does this hadith say? This hadith says, Imam Ali says, while we were with the Prophet Muhammad, me, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein, sitting beside him, we saw him crying. We asked him, why are you crying? He said, Abki min ala Fatima He says, I cry because you're going to be hit on your head and I also, I am also crying because Fatima will be slapped on her cheek. Okay, this is an authentic hadith mentioning this issue. The fourth hadith is mentioned in Dala'il Imam, page 45. A scholar who said that this chain is reliable, authentic, is Sayyid Ja'far Murtad al-Amli in his book Ma'asat al-Zahra. Volume 2, page 66, hadith number 32, he said, الرواية, The chain of the hadith, or the narration, is authentic. What does the hadith say? The hadith says that Imam Sadiq said, when Fatima was born, he was speaking about Fatima. He gave us few information until he said, he said that she died because Kunfud, the slave of Umar, uh, hit her with his sword by the order of Umar until she lost Muhsin. Okay? And also he has other, other information in this hadith. It is a long hadith and it is valuable actually. But we only need this part of it. The last hadith is mentioned in many books, including Sunni books. For example, Fara'ad al-Sumtain, volume 2, page three, page 34 and page 35. This is a Sunni book. In the Shia book, you're going to find it in, for example, Jala al-Ayun, for al-Alam al-Majlisi, volume 2, page 186 to page 188. Over there, al-Alam al-Majlisi says, That, Sheikh al-Saduq narrated this in his book Al-Amali with a reliable chain to Ibn Abbas. He says, uh, Ibn Abbas, he says that we were sitting beside Prophet Muhammad and he saw Imam Hassan, he cried. Then he saw Imam Hussein and he cried. Then he saw Fatima and cried. Then he saw Imam Ali and he cried. Then they asked him, why are you crying? He started to say why until he reached this part. He said, وَأَمَّا فَاطِمَةً فَإِنَّهَا سَيِّدَةٌ نِسَاءَ الْعَالَمِينَ Fatima is the master of all women. Then he said, وَإِنِّي لَمَّا رَأَيْتُهَا ذَكَرْتْ مَا يَسْمَعْ بِهَا بَعْدِي When I saw her, I remembered what will happen to her in the future. كَأَنِّي بِهَا وَقَدْ دَخَلَ الظِّلُّ بَيْتَهَا وَانْتَهَكَتْ حُرْمَتَهَا وَغُصِبَ حَقُّهَا 
ومنعت ارثها وكسر جنبها واسقط جنينها وهي تنادي يا محمدا فلا تجاب وتستغيث فلا تغاث فلا تزال بعدي محزونة مكرومة باكية. He said many information. Many of the things that will happen to Fatima including that her side will be broken and she is going to lose her child. Okay? Also he said فتكون أول من يلحقني من أهل بيتي. She will be the first one from my أهل البيت who will follow me after my death. فتقدم علي محزونة مكروبة مغمومة مغصوبة مقتولة. And she will come to me while she is sad. Uh, and she, he said many information until he said, and she is killed. Okay, so she will be killed. And then he said, اللهم العن من ظلمها وعقبها وذلل من وذلل من أذلها وخلد في نارك من ضرب جنبها حتى ألقت ولدها. He was praying. On those who are going to do this to Fatima, one of the things that he said, he said, put in hellfire those who hit her until she lost her child. Okay? So this is very clear hadith. Uh, with authentic chain, according to Al-Alam Al-Majlisi, that mentions the incident. So whether this hadith was mentioned in the book of Salim Al-Qais or not, it does not matter. What matters is that it, it was mentioned with more than one chain, and some of them were authentic, and some of the chains, or some of the, uh, of the Sunni scholars narrated this hadith, and that's all we need. And about Salib ibn Qais, as we said, he is a reliable narrator, and his book was famous among the Shia, and the Imams never said, do not take anything from that book. Okay? So inshallah, this answers the question, the mic is yours, brother. Thank you, Molai. It is very sad to hear about Fatwa Zahra Salam's problems. The third question is Is Tawassul Shirk how to prove its authentic dua from an Imam? Okay, Molai, did you get the question, inshallah? Okay, uh, Yes, brother. Uh, the question is not very clear. I'm not sure if, if she was speaking about the dua at tawassul or was speaking about tawassul in general. Okay? So I'll answer it both ways. Is tawassul shirk? No, it is not shirk. When does tawassul become shirk? It becomes shirk when you believe that the person who, are you, who you are seeking support from will support you by his own power, not by the power of God. Once you believe in this, then this is shirk. Okay. Independently, yes. Once you believe that he's going to do this independently, then uh, this is shirk. However, if you believe, believe that this person, whether it is Prophet Muhammad or Imam Ali or any Imam, they will do this by the power of God, depending on Allah 100%, then you, you are not committing shirk. Okay. And we have many authentic hadith that mention tawassal. I'll mention some of those. One of them is mentioned in Qasas al-Anbiya for al-Rawandi, page 55, hadith number 26. Imam al-Sadiq says, Adam 
سيد يا رب بحق محمد وعلي وقاطمة والحسن والحسين إلا تبت علي آدم سيد باي محمد and علي and فاطمة and حسن and حسين please uh, forgive me and this is authentic the chain is authentic another hadith also mentioned in the same book قصص الأنبياء فور الراوندي page 109 tell page 110 hadith number 99 Imam al-Rada over there says لما أشرف نوح على الغرق دعا بحقنا فدفع الله عنه الغرق when Nuh was going to be drawn he asked Allah buy us and Allah saved him ولما رمي إبراهيم في النار دعا الله بحقنا فجعل فجعلت النار عليه بردا وسلاما and Ibrahim when he was thrown in fire he also asked Allah by أهل البيت and Allah saved him وإن موسى عليه السلام لما ضرب ضرب طريقا في البحر دعا الله بحقنا فجعله يبسى and Prophet Musa when he hit the, the sea the famous hadith when he hit the sea he did it after asking Allah by Ahlul Bayt and Allah made the way for him dry okay وأن عيسى لما أراد اليهود قتله دعا الله بحقنا فنجا من القتل فرفعه إليه and when Prophet Jesus uh, was going to be killed by the Jews he asked Allah by Ahlul Bayt and Allah uh, saved him from being killed. This is a hadith that is also authentic. A third hadith in Amali Sheikh al Saduq, page 287 to page 288, hadith number 4. It is narrated by Imam Sadiq that says a Jewish man came to Prophet Muhammad and asked him, Are you better or Prophet Musa is better? Then Prophet Muhammad said, إنه يكره للعبد أن يزكي نفسه. He said it is not good that a person say something good about himself. However, I will tell you this. He told this Jewish person, إن آدم لما أصاب الخطية كانت توبته أن قال اللهم إني أسألك بحق محمد وآل محمد لما غفرت لي. He says when Adam made his mistake, he asked Allah to repent. And he asked him by Muhammad and Al Muhammad to forgive him. The hadith says, And Allah forgave him for that mistake. And Nuh, when he went to the ark and he was going to be, to be drawn, uh, he asked Allah by Muhammad and Al Muhammad, and Allah saved him from being drawn. Also Ibrahim, when he was thrown in the fire, he did the same thing. Same thing Musa, when he, when he threw the stick and it changed to a snake, he felt scared. He asked Allah by Muhammad and Al-Muhammad to save him from this skin, from this uh, snake, and Allah said, accepted his prayer and said لا تخف إنك أنت العلا do not worry you are going to be the winner okay this is 
in the book of Sheikh al-Qadduq and the chain is reliable, mu'tabar. Two more hadith and I'll be done. The next hadith is from Al-Kafi, volume 5, page 47. This hadith is authentic. All the narrators are reliable, they are from our biggest scholars. What does the hadith say? The hadith says that the slogan of the Muslims, this is what Imam Sadr says, the slogans of the Muslims in the day of Badr was Ya Nasrallah. And in the day of Uhud was Ya Nasrallah. Okay, see, they are doing, they're asking Allah. Muslims were asking Allah in those battles. In the uh, battle of Bani Qinqa, their slogan was Ya Rabbana, O our God. Wayoma Bani Qurayza, the day of Bani Qurayza, their slogan was Ya Salam. Salam is one of the names of Allah. وَيَوْمَ تَبُوكَ The day of Tabuk was Ya Ahad, Ya Samad. And the day of Sufim was Ya Nasrullah. Also he said, in the day of Khaybar, the slogan of the Muslims was Ya Ali. And the slogan of Imam Hussein in Karbala was Ya Muhammad. Okay? So this is an authentic hadith. The slogan was for Muslims in the day of Khaybar was Ya Ali, and the slogan for Imam Hussein in the Karb in Karbala was Ya Muhammad. So no one can consider Ya Muhammad or Ya Ali shirk, unless if he believes that Imam Ali or Prophet Muhammad will do things to him independently. Finally, one one authentic hadith from the Sunni books. Okay. Uh, when you go to this book, Shawahid al-Haq al-Istighata bi Sayyid al-Khalq, for Sheikh Yusuf bin Ismail al-Nabhani, a Sunni scholar, page 156. And also go to this book, Ad-Durar al-Taniyya, for Raj al-Wahhabiyya, for Ahmed Zaini Dahlan, a Sunni scholar, page 9. Over there they narrate that Imam Malik said to a person who asked him, when I make dua, can I direct my first? Can I direct my face towards the grave of Prophet Muhammad or should I take my face away from it? He answered him by saying, do not take your face away from him. How come you do this when he was the wasila, the intercession for you and your father Adam? Okay. This is the opinion of Imam Malik. Ibn Hajar in his book Al-Jawhar المنظم في سيد رواية ذلك عن الإمام مالك جاءت بالسند الصحيح الذي لا مطعن فيه ابن حجر سيد ذات this narration about إمام مالك came with an authentic chain that has no problem also الزرقاني authenticated it in شرح المواهب and also القاضي عياض في الشفاء and others so many Sunni scholars authenticated this from إمام مالك who believes that Prophet Muhammad was the wasila for Adam, which means that Adam made intercession through Prophet Muhammad. What an authentic thing.
Now about dua al-tawassul, the famous dua that Shia reads it. Is this shirk or not? We say according to those hadith, it is not shirk, right? Yes, it includes Ya Muhammad Ya Ali. However, when we looked at the hadith, we saw that Prophet Adam and the rest of the Prophet made intercession through Prophet Muhammad and his household. And this is not shirk. And also we saw that the slogan of Muslims was Ya Ali in the day of Khaybar. And the slogan of Imam Hussein was Ya Muhammad in Karbala. So we don't see a problem with this dua. However, is it narrated from the Imams with authentic chain? I did not find any authentic chain for that dua. However, I'll mention those two things. And I think it, it will be enough. When you go to the book Mazar al-Bihar, page 292 for Al-Alam al-Majlisi, he narrated this dua with two chains. The first chain, he said, هذا الدعاء رواه محمد بن باوويه عن لأمة. That this hadith was narrated by Sheikh al-Saduq. And he connected it from the Imam. Okay? This is one. And also he mentioned another chain. Which is, which is slightly different. Also, when you go to his book, Tuhfat al-Za'ar, he also narrated it over there. And whoever knows Al-Alam al-Majlisi and knows that book, he knows that Al-Alam al-Majlisi only narrated authentic dua in that book. And one of the dua that he mentioned was this one as well. Okay. When you go to Al-Dari'ah, the book of Al-Dari'ah for Agha Barzak al-Tahrani, volume 8, page 189, you will see over there that he says the conclusion is that this dua is a short advice from Imam Ali to Kumail so this hadith means, or this quote by Agha Barzak Tahrani proves that this hadith is narrated from Imam Ali. Okay. So this is a dua that is narrated from Ahl al-Bayt. And Al-Alam al-Majlisi believes that it is reliable. Even though he did not mention the dua, that is the chain that is reliable. Or at least for us today, we cannot make sure if it's reliable or not. Unless if we depend on the opinion of Al-Alam al-Majlisi, it will be enough. Anyway, in the end, this dua does not include anything that is haram. does not include anything that contradicts the Quran or logic or our hadith. Instead, it, it agrees with all these things. Okay, and inshallah this is enough. The match is yours. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. So, uh, Brother Abu Yaqeen, um, are you saying that as far as you've researched, you haven't found an authentic chain however uh, our scholars uh, do mention an authentic chain and also can this uh, dua be considered mustahab uh, if the content is uh, is uh, good uh, take the mic on ok brother yes the chain that we have right now according to the information that we have is not reliable. Some of the narrators are unknown to us right now. We don't know them. However, for Al-Alam Al-Majlisi, he has a book in which he said, I'm only going to narrate reliable dua, and he narrated this as one of the dua. So it seems that for Al-Alam Al-Majlisi, those people were reliable. Okay? Even though we cannot prove it today. Now, is it okay to read it? Is it mustahab to read it? Yes, why not? I'll tell you why. We have many hadith that says, uh, if you hear anything from us saying do this 
and you will get this tawab. Ahl Bayt says, do it and you will get the tawab in the day of judgment. Okay? And those hadith are mutawatif actually. So yes, can we read a dua that is, uh, let's say that it is weak. Okay? Let's say that this dua is proven to be weak. Has weak chain of narration. According to those hadith, it says you are allowed to read it. That's fine. Unless it has something that contradicts with Quran or the hadith. If someone can prove this, then we're, going, we're not going to read this dua. If someone cannot, then you are allowed to read those dua even if they are weak. Okay? And they might deserve it. Allah Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Thank you, Mulay. The fourth question is Are the Imams alive? Uh, the ayah says they receive sustenance from the Lord, but doesn't doesn't mean they hear us. Uh, I think what uh, she is trying to say is that uh, they do receive sustenance from the Lord, but it doesn't say that uh, they hear us uh, in the ayah. Uh, I believe the ayah where it says that um, that uh, they are with the Lord. And uh, they uh, they receive sustenance from him, and that they are not considered dead; they are considered alive. Uh, take my point. Uh, yes, brother. Now let's leave this verse aside. We're not going to use it to prove or not to prove anything. Uh, let's focus on the issue. When someone dies, can he hear us or not? Those who say that when someone dies, or someone dies, cannot hear us, they base this argument or this claim over a common common misconception that when someone dies, his powers or abilities uh, will be weaker. And this is a wrong common misconception. No. When we die, we become stronger. Okay. The reason is, for example, when you go to Surah Qaf, Surah number 50, verse 22, over there it says, لَقَدْ كُنْتَ فِي غَفْلَةٍ مِنْ هَذَا فَكَشَفْنَا عَنْكَ غِطَاءَكَ فَبَصَرَكَ الْيَوْمَ حَدِيدٍ It says that when you die, Allah takes off this veil, and then your sightings will be very sharp. What does this mean? This means that your sightings will be stronger, not weaker. Okay. And those people assume that when you die, you hear less. The truth is that, yes, when we die, we don't use the tools that we are using right now anymore. We don't use them anymore. We don't use our ears right now to listen to something. And we don't use our eyes to see something. No, that's wrong. We use new kind of, of tools that are even stronger. Okay? This is what this verse in Quran says. And also when you go uh, to the to the book of hadith you're going to find this very clearly I'll mention some of those hadith when you go to Sahih Muslim page 8 I mean volume 8 page 163 to 164 over there you'll see that it says Prophet Muhammad went to some people who were dead and he said Ya Fulan bin Fulan wa Ya Fulan bin Fulan he started to speak with them he, he told them, did you see and hear what we told you about? Okay. 
Umar bin Khattab told him, Prophet Muhammad, how come you talk to bodies that has no soul? Prophet Muhammad replied to him and told him, Ma anta bi asma' lima aqul minhum. That you, you, Umar, cannot hear me more than they can. Okay? This is one hadith that proves that bodies with no souls can listen. Okay? Here he was not speaking about the bodies. He was speaking about the people. That when they die, they don't lose uh, their ability to hear. The only thing that happens is that they use new senses. Okay? So this is in Sahih Muslim. Another hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, volume 2, page 92, under the chapter, listen to the name of the chapter, it says, Bab al-Mayyit yasma' khafta al-Ni'al. That uh, a dead person can hear the sounds of the sandals. Okay. Over there you see that Prophet Muhammad says, Al-Abd idha wudi'a fi qabrih wa tawallaw wa dahaba ashabah hatta innahu layasma' qar'an ni'al. Okay, he says, when a person dies and goes to his grave and his people leave him, he hears the knocking or the sound of their sandals. Okay, this is in Sahih Bukhari. And also in another place, Sahih Bukhari, volume 2, page 102. And also it is mentioned in Sahih Muslim, volume 8, page 161 to 162. So what, does those, what do those hadiths prove? Those hadiths prove that when someone dies, he, he or she can still hear. Okay, they don't lose their hearing or their sightings. They don't, they don't lose it. <coughs> After we prove that they do, then we can go to the hadith that says that prophets are alive in their grave praying. When we prove this, then we can say that when we go to Prophet Muhammad's grave, we know that he hears us according to Bukhari and Muslim and according to Quran. And we know that if we ask him something, he'll pray to Allah to do it for us. Is this hadith reliable? The hadith that says our prophets are alive in their grave praying, yes, it is authentic. Where, where can we tell that it is authentic? You can go to the one who explains Sahih al-Bukhari, which is Ibn Hajar al-Aqtalani. In his book, Fatih al-Bari, volume 6, page 352, he said, وَقَدْ جَمَعَ الْبَيْهَقِي كِتَابًا لَطِيفًا فِي حَيَاتِ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ فِي قُبُورِهِمْ He said, Al-Bayhaqi have authored the book gathering those hadith that proves prophets are alive in their graves. And then he said, and he mentioned some narrations and authenticated the chains until the last one he said and Al-Bayhaqi authenticated this hadith and by the way Al-Albani authenticated this hadith as well in Silsilat Al-Hadith Al-Sahiha hadith number 621 and I think this inshallah answers the question and the mic is there Allah ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad uh, thank you, Mawlai, uh, for the answer. The fifth question uh, says, Why does the issue of la'nat seem like uh, something? The Imams would never practice and even pray for their enemies. But at the same time, we have some other narrations contradicting this. Was la'nat was something that was supposed to be practiced by Shi'as 
through the imams so just to clear this up for the listeners la'nat uh, is uh, not necessarily cursing but asking Allah to remove the blessings from a, uh, a certain person uh, so Mawlai inshallah uh, you got the question, uh, take the mic. Uh, okay, bro. Yes, uh, actually, there is no contradiction between the hadith. We don't have a hadith that says, use la'na, and other hadith that say, don't use la'na. By the way, I did not find any good translation for the word la'na, so what I'll use is cursing. Okay, Even though it means only that Allah, uh, that we are praying to Allah to take the mercy out of such a person. Okay? When you go to the hadith, those hadith that you or some people think means that you should not curse, actually those hadith were speaking about insulting, not cursing. Okay? And there is a difference between them. Insulting is obvious, everybody knows it. Cursing is what the brother, the brother mentioned which is to pray to Allah to take the mercy out of a person. One of the scholars who distinguish between those two, who is not a Shia by the way, his name is Ibn Abi al-Hadid al-Mu'tazili, the person who explained Nahj al-Balagha. He says in volume 11, page 21 to 22, he was explaining the word of Imam Ali, إِنِّي أَكْرَهُ لَكُمْ أَنْ تَكُونُوا سَبَّابِينَ That I hate, that I dislike from you, uh, insulting people to become an insulter or to become insulters he said وَالَّذِي كَرَهَهُ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ مِنْهُمْ أَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يَشْتِمُونَ أَهْلَ الشَّامِ he said what Imam Ali disliked from them was that they insulted the people of Al-Sham وَلَمْ يَكُنْ يَكْرَهْ مِنْهُمْ لَعْنَهُمْ إِيَّاهُمْ and he says and he did not dislike cursing them so what Imam Ali disliked was insulting, not cursing. So even this this scholar who is a Mu'tazili, not a Shia, he distinguished between the two. Let's say that, okay, this distinguish is wrong. Cursing and insulting is the same. We tell them then, we're going to accept the hadith that says you are allowed to curse, and we will not accept the hadith that says you are not allowed. Why? Because it contradicts with Quran. When you check the Quran, you're going to see that over 70 verses in the Quran mentions cursing, la'na. I'll mention some of those. In Surah Muhammad, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad, Surah 47, to, uh, Surah number 47, verse 22 to 23, Allah curses those who cause fitna in earth. Okay. And when you go to Surah number 24, verse 23, you will see that over there Allah curse those who speak about women. If someone speaks about someone's wife and he says something wrong about her, Allah curse those in this life and the hereafter. Let me read the verse in Ladina Yarmun al Muhsinat al Rafilat al Muminat Luimu Fiddunya wal Akhira Walahum Adabun Adin. Okay? They are cursed in this life and the life after. Okay? Also in Surah number 2, verse 159, Allah curses those who hide the truth. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَنزَلْنَا مِنَ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَالْهُدَى مَنْ بَعْدْ مَا بَيِّنَّاهُ النَّاسِ فِي الْكِتَابِ أُولَٰئِكَ يَلْعَنُهُمُ اللَّهِ 
Also in Surah number 4, verse 51 to 52, Allah curses those who misguide people. Okay? And you can check it over there. There is one problem. Some people may say that only Allah can curse. No one else can curse. We say no. When you check Quran, you're going to see the opposite. Surah, two number, surah number 2, verse number 159. 2, 159. Allah says over there, Allah cursed them and those who curse. Okay. Who are those who curse? Another verse explains this. In Surah Al-Amran, Amran, Surah number 3, verse 87. It says, أَجْمَعِينَ uh, those people, the punishment for them is that Allah will curse them, the angels and all mankind. Okay? And also if one wants to check, he can go check Surah number 24, verse 6 to 7, he will see that Allah allows a person to curse himself if he is a liar. Okay? You can check the verse and read it. So, we cannot accept a hadith that says you are not allowed to curse because it contradicts with Quran and also it contradicts with other authentic hadith whether from the Sunni or the Shia book which says that Prophet Muhammad used to curse I'll give you two examples from the Sunni books in Sahih al-Bukhari hadith uh, volume 5 page 171 hadith 4193 it says that Prophet Muhammad in Fajr prayer after ruku' He used to say, Allahumma al'an fulan wa fulan wa fulan. He used to curse three unknown people in Sahih al-Bukhari. You can refer to the hadith. I give the number and the volume and the page number. Also, and by the way, it is authentic according to Sunni. Sahih al-Bukhari is obviously authentic. From the Shia books, in Al-Kafi, volume 6, page 398, hadith number 10, with a reliable chain, it says that Prophet Muhammad cursed لعن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الخمر وعاصرها ومعتصرها وضايعها ومشتريها وساقيها وآكل ثمنها وشاربها وحاملها والمحمولة إليه Prophet Muhammad cursed alcohol or wine and whoever do it, prepare it and whoever sell it and whoever buy it and whoever drinks it and whoever used its money, and whoever carries it to someone, and whoever someone carries it to him. Okay? Prophet Muhammad cursed all those with a reliable chain. So we cannot accept this, that cursing is something that is not acceptable to the Imam. Yes. It is not acceptable if you curse a person who is not worth of being cursed. How come? We have an authentic hadith in Al-Kafi, volume 2, page 360, hadith number 7. Authentic hadith that says, Imam al-Baqir says, إِنَّ اللَّعْنَ إِذَا خَرَجَتْ مِنْ فِيِّ صَاحِبُهَا تَرَدَّدَتْ بَيْنَهُمَا فَإِنْ وُجِدَتْ مَسَاغًا وَإِلَّا رَجَعَتْ إِلَى صَاحِبَهَا When a curse goes out of the mouth of the person, it looks for this person who deserves it. If not, then it comes back to the person who cursed. So yes, we are not allowed to curse a person who is not worth of being cursed. However, the oppressors, those who speak about women and bad things, those who lie, those who hide the truth, those who cause fitna, 
we are allowed to curse them. And inshallah, this is enough. They make a joke. Thank you, Mulai, uh, for the answer. Okay, um, okay. The sixth question uh, says, "Why would it be necessary for the Prophet to have all of the knowledge? What who, what use was it for him to have knowledge of technology going on right now, which was no use for him?" Mulai, take the mic. <clears throat> okay, brother, this is actually a good question. And it has a very wrong assumption, by the way, which many people do these days. Many people think that there is a relationship between having an ability and between the, necess- the necess- necessity of having that ability. And we say that actually there is no relationship between those two. Why is that? Let me give you an example. If we think about those who have weak faith, do you think that it will be necessary for them to know, to see hell and heaven? Obviously yes, because if they see hell and heaven, their uh, faith will increase will be stronger until they reach the level of certainty. Okay, they're gonna be very certain that hell and heaven exist. Okay? And this is very obvious. If someone even dream about hell or see heaven in his dream, you you may see him that he's not gonna sin for maybe a month. He's not gonna delay any prayers for maybe a month. What do you think about a person who will see directly hell and heaven? Okay? That's, uh, this will really cause what we call in Arabic yaqeen. It will cause certainty for him. He's going to have certainty. Now let's look at those people who, who have certainty, who already have certainty. Is it necessarily for those people to see hell and heaven? Logically, no. It's not necessarily, since they already have certainty. However, when we go to Quran, we see that Allah shows hell and heaven to those who have certainty, not to those who have doubt. See in Surah Tikatur, which is Surah number 102, verse, 50, verse 5 to verse 7, it says, الجحيم, It says, if you have the knowledge of certainty, then Allah will show you hell. See? Here it, there is no necessity for it actually. Even though there is no necessity, it does not mean that those who have certainty are not able to, to see hell. Okay? This is just to, make, to prove that this relationship is wrong. This assumption is wrong. There is no relationship between necessity and between the imams having the ability. This is number one. Now the second step is, this is very important actually, and everybody has to focus on this, because many people uh, do mistakes when it comes to this issue. If we want to know the Imams, we have two paths, two ways to know the Imams, two ways to know their ability. 
One is an internal way, and the other one is an external way. What do we mean by this? The external way to know the abilities of the Imam is to just read the Quran and the Hadith, and whatever the Quran and the Hadith says about our Imam, we accept it. We say yes. Quran says that they know the unseen, then they know the unseen. Quran says that they know everything, then they know everything. Quran says that, or the Hadith says that they have control over the universe, then we accept it. Okay. This is one way. Another way is the internal way, which is uh, to look at the obligations that the Imam has, and then from this obligation, we think logically, what do the Imam has to have to be able to accomplish this obligation? Okay? And we have to be very careful with the internal way. Why? Because before we can make a conclusion, we must know all the obligations that the Imam has. Okay? Let me give you an example. Let's first give an example of the external way and then the example of the internal way. I'm, I'm only going to use verses right now. We have hadith, we have many of those, but I'm going to limit myself to verses. When we go to Surah Al-Ra'ad, Surah number 13, verse 31, it says, وَلَوْ أَنَّ قُرْآنًا سُيِّرَتْ بِهِ الْجِبَالِ أَوْ قُطِّعَتْ بِهِ الْأَرْضِ أَوْ كُلِّمَ بِهِ الْمَوْتِ This verse says that Quran has information that can be used to move mountains and to cut the earth and to speak with dead people. If someone knows all the information of Quran, all the knowledge of Quran, then he'll be able to do these things. Okay. Another verse says, which is Surah number 6, verse 38. It says, Which means that Allah included everything in Quran. All kinds of information. It is in Quran. Surah number 16, verse 89. It says, Also another verse that says, Quran explains everything. Okay. Now, if someone has the knowledge of Quran, he must have all these things. He can control, uh, he can move mountains, he can cut the earth, he can talk to, people, uh, to dead people. He should have all the information he needs because Quran includes everything. We have a verse in Surah number 35, verse 32, which says, That there are some people who Allah chose, they inherited all the knowledge of the book. Who are, obviously, everybody knows this, they are Ahlul Bayt. Okay. Whether we go to the Hadith, we can find out this. And even if we look among Muslims today, there is no one who deserves this status uh, more than Ahlul Bayt. Okay? So we are sure about Ahlul Bayt that they have all the information from the Quran, which means that they know everything. Now when it comes to new information, technology, everything, the question is this. Does Quran have this kind of information? Quran says, yes, I have everything. Do Ahlul Bayt know everything that is in Quran? The answer is yes. This means that Ahlul Bayt knows these things or know these things. This is the external way. And actually we have many hadith that also prove this. Now let's go to the, the internal way and look at the obligations that the Prophet and the Imams have. 
you see, as I said, we have to be very careful when using this uh, path. Because many people, when they use it, they do something wrong. What they do is this. They tell us that the obligations of the Prophet and the Imam is to guide us. Then is it, it's not necessarily that they know the unseen, that they know that they have control over the universe and so on. Right? The answer is this. Uh, if you limit the obligations of the, the Imams and the Prophet to only guide us, then also it is not necessarily that they become infallible in everything. They must only be infallible when teaching us the religion, not more than this. Okay? So if they're going to uh, tell us something about life, about the battle, about information, about anything, they don't have to be infallible in this. If we're going to limit their obligation to guidance. And this, is a, this is something that no Shia scholar accepts. All our Shia scholars say that the Imams are infallible in everything. Okay. More than this, we're going to ask this question. Is it necessarily that Fatima become infallible? She is not a prophet and she is not an Imam. If we are going to think about it this way, then Fatima is not infallible, since there is no necessity for her to be infallible. Okay. She only lived after Prophet Muhammad for either three or six months. Okay, and she was not an Imam and not a Prophet. That she has to be uh, does she have to be infallible alayhi salam? No. She does not have to. However, if we start to look deeper into their obligation, what obligations do they have really? Is it only guidance? The answer is no. Look at those verses, you're going to see that they have many obligations. I will mention only one obligation, which is al-shahada al-a'mal. That they are the witnesses of what we do. What do we mean by shahada al-a'mal? You can see the meaning in surah number 83, verse 18 to 21. It says, كَلَّا إِنَّ كِتَابَ الْأَبْرَارِ لَفِيَ وَمَا مَا here it's speaking about the book in, that includes all our actions. It says those who are close to Allah, they can witness this book. They can see what it includes. Okay? So this is the obligation of a shahada al-amal. Do Prophet Muhammad have this obligation? Okay. The answer is yes. Surah number 9, verse 105. It says, It says, Do, and Allah will see what you do, and the Prophet, and the believers. Here the believers uh, means Ahlul Bayt, according to many hadith. Okay? And also we can prove this Quranically. Also when you go to Surah 33, verse 45, over there it says, Prophet says, O oh, Prophet Muhammad, I have sent you, and then Allah mentioned the obligations of Prophet Muhammad. The first obligation was shahidan, that you are a witness. And same thing, this verse is repeated in Surah 48, verse 8. This is about Prophet Muhammad, about Ahlul Bayt. You can check this Surah, Surah 22, verse 78. Which, which says, Millat Abikum Ibrahim. Allah was speaking to people. And He says, 
uh, he, he said that your father Ibrahim this is the title that he gave them so they are people who are from the children or grandchildren of Prophet Ibrahim which means Ahlul Bayt not all Muslims only those who are relative to, to Ibrahim Millat Alikum Ibrahim هو سماكم المسلمين he is the one who calls you Muslim من قبل في هذا ليكون الرسول شهيدا عليكم وتكونوا شهداء على الناس so that the Prophet become a witnesser over you a witnesser over you and you become witnesses over the rest of the people okay this proves that Ahl Bayt have this obligation as well so what do we mean by this by this we understand that Prophet Muhammad and Ahl Bayt are the witnesses of everything that we do including when we sit on the computer if we do a program or if we go to the bank or whatever Ahl Bayt understand everything that we do and see everything that we do so that they, they are going to be the witnesses in the day of judgment they must understand all these things must know all these things to be the witnesses that day okay if someone says that this is ghulu, this is wrong how come you understand those this thing from those verses we can say that even the hadith proved this not only the verses and not only Shia hadith also Sunnis check this book which is a Sunni book Majma' al-Zawa'id for Al-Haythami volume 9 page 24 it said Prophet Muhammad said وَوَفَاتِي خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ تُعْرَضْ عَلَيْهَا أَعْمَالَكُمْ فَمَا رَأَيْتُ مِنْ خَيْرٍ حَمَدْتُ اللَّهَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَا رَأَيْتُ مِنْ شَرِّ اسْتَقْلَاتُ اللَّهَ لَكُمْ he says that Prophet Muhammad says when I died I see what you do. If I see something good, I will say Alhamdulillah. And if I see something bad, I will ask Allah to forgive you. What about the chain? The chain, according to Al-Haytami, he says, رواه البزار ورجاله رجال الصحيح. Al-Bazzar narrated it, and the narrators are all the narrators of the Sahih Hadith. And if you want to see an example, how prophets know everything you can go to surah number 12 verse 55 prophet Yusuf says to the king what does it mean he says give me all the treasure that you have all the money that you have I'm gonna manage it for you okay prophet Yusuf is saying this now did the prophet Yusuf study finance or did he study management or did he study accounting he, he does not know these things how come he is very confident that he is going to manage it very very well very properly even though if someone for example if someone gets married he knows that for the first year he always messes up the financial issue he always end up having negative balance okay since this thing needs experience needs knowledge what if we give someone who does not have experience a company what will he do this what what will he do to this company prophet yusuf says give me the whole the treasure and the money of the whole earth and i'll be i'll manage it very quickly very easily or very properly okay so how did he know these things we we say that actually uh, those type of people know everything and we should not limit it to what we think is necessarily for them and I think this should be an enough answer for now if anybody has 
follow-up question for this, he can send it, and shall I'll go to, into it in more detail. And the mic is yours, sir. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Thank you, Mawlai, for that uh, answer. The seventh question is, uh, says, if Imam Mahdi alayhi salam is in occultation, uh, if he appears just once to a person that isn't uh, in occultation anymore, therefore why are we hearing all these stories of people uh, seeing him? So I believe the question uh, is, if Imam Mahdi Sharif is in occultation, if he sees a person, that means he's not in occultation. You know, uh, doesn't make sense logically. And uh, why are so many people saying uh, that they they saw him when, if they say this, that w- that would mean he would not be in occultation. Rather, he is uh, seeing a uh, few people in the world. Uh, okay, well, I take the mic. Okay, but six. Uh, when we say that he is in occultation in Ghaiba, we do not mean that he's hide, he's hidden from everybody. No, we don't mean this. Angels know where he he is. Allah knows where he is. Okay, and we do have hadith that says. There are few believers who know where he is, okay? Which means that uh, the understanding of al ghaiba that many people have is wrong. It does not mean that he uh, is 100% hidden. No one knows him, no one meets him, no one sees him. No, this is not correct. What is the hadith that proves this? It is mentioned in Al-Kafi, volume 1, page 340, hadith number 19, and it is authentic. Imam Sadiq says, لِلْقَائِمْ غَيْبَتَانِ For the Imam, Imam Al-Mahdi, عَجَلَّهُ تَعَلَى فَرْجَةً He has two occultations. إِحْدَاهُمَا قَصِيرًا وَالْأُخْرَى طَوِيرًا One short and one long. الْغَيْبَ الْأُولَى لَا يَعْلَمْ بِمَكَانُ فِيهَا إِلَّا خَصَّتْ شِيَعْتَ The first occultation, the short one, no one knows where he is except the very few Shia, the closest Shia to him. Okay? والأخرى لا يعلم بمكان فيها إلا خاصة مواليه. and the second one no one knows where he is except the very close موالي. okay to the imam. which maybe means which maybe maybe means that those are people who are serving him. he has certain obligation with them and they are dealing with each other and doing these things like maybe الخضر Okay, he's hidden person, but he's doing things. Maybe those people are helping him during this time. So those people meet him and knows where where he is or know where he is. Okay, this is one explanation. Another explanation is <clears throat> some scholars say that when you look at those stories, you will find out that when they meet Imam Mahdi, they don't know Imam Mahdi. When when do they know that he is Imam Mahdi? Once he leaves. Once he leaves, then they think about, oh, maybe we met Imam Mahdi. But before that, they don't know that it is Imam Mahdi. So those are two explanations. And the matter is yours. Okay. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Thank you, Mawlai. Mawlai, can I ask a follow-up question? Okay, thank you. Well, 
why why does Imam Mahdi Sharif come see some people while he you know he wouldn't see other people? I mean, why does he look see this scholar when he doesn't go to that scholar to see him? Um, why doesn't he see me and goes to see another person? Uh, do you understand my question? Okay, Mullah, I take that one. Okay, brother. The answer is, it is a wisdom that we don't know it. For a wisdom that we don't know it. It, is, it does not mean that this person is better than the other. No. Maybe it means the opposite, by the way. Why? Because there are maybe a scholar who knows what to do, who is following everything right. He doesn't need any guidance right now. So, you know, Mahdi will, will have no need to, no reason to go and give him something or tell him something. There is no reason to do this. But maybe there is another per- person who has weak faith and he wants to strengthen, to make it stronger. So this person needs to meet with Imam Mahdi. I'm not saying that everybody who meets with Imam Mahdi is a person who has weak faith. No. But I'm just saying that there is a wisdom which we don't know it. Okay? And that's it. Mahdi is yours. Okay. Thank you, Mullah. Um, in uh, the eighth question says in verse 37 of Surah Al-Baqarah when Allah says we taught the names to Adam do you agree do you agree with it being the five names of the Ahl Bayt or is it or is that tradition weak and why only five and not all twelve I think uh, it's fourteen not only twelve uh, Mawla I take the mic uh, yes, brother. See, when you go to, to verse number 37 in Surah Al-Baqarah, it says, فَتَلَقَى آدَمَ مِنْ رَبِّهِ كَلِمَاتِ فَتَابَ عَلَيْهِ In this verse, it just says that Adam had received few words, and because of this, Allah forgave him. Okay, this is one. When you go to those to the hadith that speak about this verse, you will see many authentic hadith that says they are the name of Ahl Bayt. Okay, let me mention some. Al-Khisal for Sheikh al Saduq, page 304 to 305, hadith number 84. Okay. Over there, over there it says, someone is asking Imam al what does means what are those words he read a verse number 2 surah number 2 verse 124 that Ibrahim have received words okay same similar to the one in the verse of Adam also it says words kalimat Imam Sadaq says he al-kalimat allati talaqaha Adam min rabbah fataba alayhi he says I mean Imam Sadaq says they are the same words that Adam has received from Allah when he forgave him. وهو أنه قال يا رب أسألك بحق محمد وعلي وفاطمة والحسن حسين إلا تبت عليه. And they are and it is that Adam said Allah by Muhammad Ali Fatim and Hassan Hussein forgive me. فتاب الله عليه إنه وتواب الرحيم and Allah forgave him. So it mentions only the five names. Another one also in Kamal al-Din wa Tamam al-Na'ma 
page 358, hadith 57, says the same thing, and it is mu'tabar. Those hadith says that uh, Adam received only those five names. Okay? The question is, why didn't he learn the rest of the names? The answer is this. There are two verses. This is one. And then there is one, which is Surah number 2, verse 31. وَعَلَّمَ آدَمَ الْأَسْمَاءَ كُلَّهَا ثُمَّ عَرَضَهُمْ عَلْ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Here in this verse it says that Adam have learned all the names. Just pay attention to the two verses. In one verse it says that Adam learned names and this is all the names. This is one verse. In another verse it says no, Adam has received words. And when we go to the hadith we see that it is the words of Ahlbayt only the five. Now what, what do they mean? What do Allah mean? When he say that Adam learned all the words. Okay? Let's see a, a hadith that explains this. In Kamal al-Din wa Tamam al-Na'mal Page 13 to 14. Okay? Over there it says, Imam al-Baqir says, In Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala allama Adam alayhi salam asma hujaj Allah kulluha that Allah has taught Adam the names of all the hujaj, which means not only the twelve, even the fourteen. Even Fatima was included. Okay? And Prophet Muhammad was included. And he told the angels about them while they were souls. Okay? This is one hadith. Also you can find it in Bihar and Anwar, volume 11, page 145. So according to this hadith, he learned all the names. Now, let's go back to the verses again. Once, one surah says that Adam learned all the names, and they were the names of Ahl al-Bayt. The second surah, this one is after he made the sin, after he made the mistake. When he wanted to repent, which names did he use? so that Allah accepts his uh, repentance, he used only five of those names. So there is no contradiction. Adam learned all the names. And also Prophet Ibrahim learned all the names. However, when he wanted to use uh, the names for intercession, he only used five of them. Not more than that. Okay? And inshallah, this answers this. The mic is yours. Allah Muhammad Muhammad Thank you, Mulai. That was a great answer. Um, okay. The ninth question says, when we call the twelve Imam names, such as Abu Salih or Abu Zahra, isn't that kind of contradictory? How can he be the father of Zahra? Okay, Mulai, take the mic. Uh, okay, but actually I never found a hadith that says the nickname of Imam Mahdi is Abu Zahra. Maybe it is uh, a mistake that the person who asked this question made. There is a hadith that says the nickname of Prophet Muhammad is, this, uh, is the same, or the nickname of Imam Mahdi is similar to the nickname of Prophet Muhammad. Kinyatuhu Kinyati. This is what the hadith says. So maybe they assumed that the nickname of Prophet Muhammad is Abu Zahra and Imam Mahdi will have the same thing but this is not true 
when you look at the nickname of Prophet Muhammad, the famous one is Abu Qasim. And then in one of the hadith also it mentioned that the nickname of Imam Mahdi is Abu Qasim as well. The question is this, then what, what about Abu Salih? Also, Abu Salih, I never found it in any hadith. I'm not claiming that there is no hadith about this, but I never found it. All the hadith that I see when it, come, when it speaks about the nickname of Imam Mahdi, it is Abu Qasim, not Abu Salih. But maybe they use Abu Salih because of this verse. Surah number 21, verse 105, which says, وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مَنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ أَنَّ الْأَرْضَ يَرُثُهَا عِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحُونَ Allah says that we have written in Zabur after Al-Dhikr that the earth will be inherited to the good people, to Al-Salihun. And this, this may be some Shia uh, understood it as Imam Mahdi is the one who is going to inherit the earth and this is correct. And maybe his children later on will govern this earth. And that's why they call him the father of Salih. Salihun. Maybe they're referring to this person. That is only a possibility. As, and as, as I said, I never found a hadith that says Abu, the nickname of Imam Mahdi is Abu Salih. Okay, and the mic is yours. Thank you, Mullah, for the answer. The tenth question says. Um, in ayah 31 of uh, Surah Al-Baqarah, where Allah says, I taught all the names to Adam. If we take the names as being the names of Allah based on tafsir, isn't there no limit to the number of names he has? Or Allah's uh, adjectives? How can he teach them all to him if there is no limit? Take the mic. Uh, yes, brother, there are two answers to this. It is true that Allah's name are unlimited. Okay. And it is true that in this verse also, it means Al-Asma'a Kullaha, besides the names of Ahl Bayt, it also means the name of God. There's no contradiction between them. Because we have an authentic hadith that says, Ahl Bayt says, we are the names of God. Which means that they are the manifestation of those names. Okay. So when Adam learned all the names, it can mean it is possible that it means one of those two things. Either Allah taught him the main names, the mother names. For example, he taught him the name of Al-Hay, uh, the All-Living. Al-Qadr, the All-Powerful, or the Al-Qawi. Al-Alim, the All-Knowledgeable, the All-Knowing. All the names, all the rest of the names are covered by those. Okay, for example, Al-Shafi, the one who cure, it is, you'll find it under Al-Qadr, or Al-Qawi. Okay, so the rest of the names will be included in those. So, it, maybe it is that Adam learned the main names, and then those names include the rest of the names. Okay, this is one answer. Another answer is that he learned a continuous knowledge, which will never end as well. He's going to keep learning the Tawheed issue, the names of God. Okay? This is also a possibility, just like Imam Ali. He learned a thousand door of a knowledge from each door, will open another thousand different doors. Which means it is continuous, it will never end. Okay? Inshallah, this answers it. The mic is yours. 
Allah Resulü Ali Muhammed ve Ali Muhammed Thank you Mullah for the answer Back to the discussion of prophets doing This is the 11th question Back to the discussion of prophets doing mistakes The general premise is that the prophets neither sin nor do any mistakes Then on the last days of the last day of our prophet when he asked people for forgiveness and that man said he had whipped him accidentally one day then isn't that a mistake? Uh, that did you understand the question inshallah Mawlai? ok take the mic uh, yes brother if you continue with the story you will find out that the man just wanted to reach the stomach of the prophet and touch it only to gain blessing and to save himself from hellfire so he, he just made up that story he actually Prophet Muhammad did not whip him accident, uh, by mistake okay it is only that this person uh, made this story up so that he gain uh, the blessing from Prophet Muhammad and save himself from hellfire he just wanted to touch his stomach okay so that's it Allah Muhammad Okay. Thank you, Mullah, for that answer. The twelfth question says, Was the Baytul true for Hazrat Fatima If she was a strong and patient woman, why would she need such a grief house? Okay, Mullah, take the mic. Uh, yes, there is no contradiction between her being strong and between being sad. No contradiction with that. Go to Surah number 12, verse 84. You will see that Prophet Yaqub was crying uh, on Prophet Yusuf until he, he lost his sighting and Allah said that he is a good person. Okay. Okay. He lost his sighting but Allah is saying something good about him. So there is no Contradiction between Fatima uh, being sad and be- between her being strong. Okay. Now about Beit al-Ahzan. Beit al-Ahzan, I did not find any authentic hadith about it. And actually I did not find hadith about it that mentioned. It is not mentioned in the words of the Imam. Except in one, ch- in one hadith. Which was mentioned in Bihar al-Anwar. Volume 43, page 174. Hadith number 15. Alama Majlis narrates the hadith and he says that this hadith is weak. Okay. However, uh, historically, we see that the Shia has uh, have been visiting the sighting of or the place of uh, Beit al Ahzan generation by generation. Okay. They kept doing this and they know the place. And we have many scholars who spoke about it whether they are Sunni or Shia. So let me quote some of those. Agha Barzak Tahrani, in the Zariah, volume 7, page 52, he says, وَلَكِنْ انْهَدَمَ بَيْتِ الْأَحْزَانِ فِي الْبَقِيعَ الْغَرْقَدِ لِمُجَاوَرَتِهِ مَرَاقَدْ لَأَمَّةِ الشِّيَعَ He says, Bayt al-Ahzan was destroyed because it was beside the graves of the Imam. And then he said, وَذَلِكَ لِأَجِلْ أَنَّهُ قَدْ يُؤْخِرَ الْجَارِ بِجُرْمِ جَارِ He was sad and he just said that the only reason why this house 
was destroyed is because people didn't like its neighbor. Okay. Sayyid Abdul Hakim Sharafuddin in Al-Nasr al he said something great. In page 30, uh, 301, 2, 302, he says uh, that he visited that place. This is what he said. Okay, no, no. He was speaking about the tree that she used to go to Al-Baqi' Fatima al-Zahra and she used to cry under that tree until they cut that tree. He said after it was cut, uh, someone built her a, a house and she stayed in there. Imam Ali is the one who built it. في البقيع كانت تأوي إليه للنياحة يدعى بيت الأحزان وكان هذا البيت يزار في كل خلف من هذه الأمة كما تزار المشاهد المقدس. He says and this the place all Shia visited it just like they visit the, the other graves of their Imam. So it is a known place. And this could be a fact better than the Hadith actually. Okay. And if you want it from the Sunni books you can go to this book. Wafa al Wafa for a Samhudi, volume three, page nine hundred and eighteen, he says ومنها مشهد سيدنا إبراهيم بن سيدنا رسول الله. He was speaking about البقيع. He spoke about the place where the son of our prophet died, سيدنا إبراهيم, his grave. وقبره. And he said that his grave is beside the grave of Imam Hassan and Al Abbas. Until he went to a place and he said, and behind this place there is وموضع تربته يعرف بيت الأحزان. This is the place of بيت الأحزان. يقال إنه البيت الذي أوت إليه فاطمة رضي الله عنها والتزمت الحزن فيه بعد وفاة أبيها. He said this is the place where فاطمة used to visit and cry on her father after his death. والمشهور ببيت الأحزان and it is famous for this name بيت الأحزان. Okay and then he spoke about it. He gave few information about it. So both Sunnis and Shias know about this place. Even though we don't have an authentic chain for it, and the messages. Mulai, do you know if Beitul Ahzan is is available? I mean, do people go to it? Do we search for it when we go to Saudi? Okay, Mulay. Do you know where Beit Al-Ahzan is? Okay, take the mic. Yes, brother. When you read this in detail, the quotation that I have, I did not read in detail. Yes, they do know where it is. And if you know people from Al-Madina, they can tell you where it is. Okay? But right now, it's not there. We just know the land or the place where it was built on. Thirteenth question says, "Prove rajat, and if it exists, why would there be a day of judgment? That's where everybody gets their rights back." Okay, Mawlai, take the mic. Yes, brother. First of all, we have to know that rajat is a small manifestation of Allah's justice in the Day of Judgment. So it's not, it's not that all 
the right will be back to its people. No, no. And it's not that all punishment will be done at that day. No. This is a small manifestation of Allah's justice in the day of judgment. That's it. This is a raja. Now, how can we prove it? We can prove it many ways. Quran does prove it. It gives, it gives us a sign. Let's see. See, when Allah speaks about the day of judgment, we all know that in the day of judgment, everybody uh, will be brought at that day. See Surah number 18, verse, verse number 47. وَيَوْمَ نُسَيِّرُ الْجِبَالِ وَتُرَى الْأَرْضِ بَارِدَةِ وَتَرَى الْأَرْضِ بَارِدَةِ وَحَشَرْنَاهُمْ فَلَمْ نُغَادِرْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا See, it says, وَحَشَرْنَاهُمْ فَلَمْ نُغَادِرْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا He was referring, Allah was referring to the day of judgment where he brings everybody and none will be left. Right? However, go to this surah, surah number 27, verse 83. Over there, Allah says, Allah will bring from every ummah a group of people. Not everybody. So the question is this. When is Allah going to bring this, uh, those group of people? from every nation. Not everybody. In this verse, Allah is not speaking about everybody. He says, from every nation, we're going to bring a group of people. We're, we're saying that this is a Raja. This is the day of a Raja. Okay? Now, when it comes to Hadith, Raja is not something that is narrated only with one chain or two chains. No, no. It has been narrated from many chains. Let me give you this quote from Al-Alam Al-Majlisi speaking about it. Al-Alam Al-Majlisi in Bihar Al-Anwar Volume 53, page 122 to 123 After mentioning the truth then he said اعلم يا أخي know my brother إني لا أظنك ترتاب بعدما مهدت وأوضحت لك في القول بالرجعة التي أجمعت الشيء عليها في جميع الأقار He says I do not think that you doubt it anymore that a raja is true after you see the proof and after you know that all Shia agreed on it. Okay. He keeps saying things until he says, وَكَيْفَ يَشُكْ مُؤْمِنْ بِحَقِيقَةِ لَإِمَّ الْأَطْهَارِ فِيمَا تَوَاتَرَ عَنْهُمْ فِي قَرِيبٍ مِنْ مَا أَتَيْ حَدِيثٍ صَرِيحٍ He says, and how, how can one can doubt what has been narrated from the Imam with 200 clear hadith? See? It's not one or two or three or ten or twenty. According to Al-Majlisi, he says two hundred hadith. Who did narrate those hadith? He says, رواها نيف وأربعون من استقاط العظام. He said, narrated those hadith over forty reliable, great scholars. رواها نيف وأربعون من استقاط العظام والعلماء العلام في أزيد من خمسين من مؤلفاتهم. In over than fifty of their books. So we have over 50 books proving a raja. Okay. Who did author those books? Our great scholars. Then he says, وَإِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ مِثْلْ هَذَا مُتَوَاتِرًا فَفِي أَيْ شَيْءَ يَكُنْ دَعْوَ التَّوَاتِرًا He says, if this is not tawatir, then what is tawatir? Then he says, مَعَ مَا رَوَتْهُ كَافَةِ شِيعَ خَلَفًا عَمْ خَلَفًا And he says that all Shia, generation by generation, have narrated this. And then he said something I, I don't think I need to mention it. But let me, let me mention it just, just for history. It says, or Alam al-Majlisi says, وَظَنِّي أَنَّ مَنْ يَشُكْ فِي أَمْثَالَهَا فَهُوَ شَاكْ فِي أَمَّةِ الدِّينِ 
he says, I think that whoever doubts this hadith, he has doubts on the imams. Okay? This is what Allah Majlis says. He spoke about many books. In my house, I have one of those books, which is for Al-Hurr Al-Amali. It's called Al-Iqab Min Al-Hajjah. It is 400 pages, full of those hadith. Okay? Whoever can, whoever has this book, can tell that the hadith of Al-Raja is really mutawatir. Okay, this is just one of the proofs. In the Sunni books, it is also mentioned. One, somehow, it is mentioned over there. Let me give you one, one thing that, if you read it carefully, you will see that they are speaking about Al-Raja. In Al-Hakim, Mustadrak Al-Hakim, Volume 3, page 178, he says that Ibn Abbas said, أَوْحَ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى إِلَى مُحَمَّدْ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ That Allah told this to Prophet Muhammad. إِنِّي قَتَلْتُ بِيَحْيَى بِنْ زَكَرِيَّ سَبْعِينَ أَلْفًا Allah says to Prophet Muhammad, I have killed because of Yahya ibn Zakariya, Prophet Yahya. I have killed because of him 70,000 persons. Because Yahya was slaughtered, Prophet Yahya. And because he was slaughtered, Allah says that I have killed 70,000 people because of him. Then he said to Prophet Muhammad, وَإِنِّي قَاتِلْ بِإِبْنِ بِنْتِكَ سَبْعِينَ أَلْفًا وَسَبْعِينَ أَلْفًا And I will, Allah says, the truthful, Allah says, I will kill because of your grandson, Imam Hussein, 70,000 and 70,000, double the amount, or double the number of people. Then al Al-Hakim says, هذا حديث صحيح الإسناد ولم يخجه. That this is an authentic hadith according, or oh, this is an authentic hadith that was not narrated in Bukhari and Muslim. The chain is authentic. Also, by the way, Al-Zahabi uh, agreed with Al-Hakim in his authentication in his book at the and also at Zahabi, in his book, Seer Alam al volume 4, page 342, he said that this chain is clear. Okay? Hadith, Nadif al-Isnad. The chain is clear. One final proof is that the issue of al-Raja'ah, maybe it can be found in the Old Testament. When you go to Ermia, 46.10 You will see over there that it says in Arabic فَهَذَا الْيَوْمْ هُوْ يَوْمْ قَضَاءَ السَّيِّدَ الرَّبِّ But that day belongs to the Lord, the Lord Almighty. يَوْمَ الْإِنْتِقَامِ فِيهِ يَسْأَرْ لِنَفْسِهِ مِنْ أَعْدَاءِ A day of revenge for revenge on his foes. فَيَلْتَهُمْ السَّيْفُ وَيَشْبَعُ وَيَرْتَوِي مِنْ دِمَائِهِمْ The sword will be will devour till it is satisfied. لِأَنَّ لِسَيِّدَ الرَّبِّ الْقَدِيرِ ذَبِيحَةِ فِي أَرْضِ الشَّمَالِ Till it has quenched its thirst with blood, for the Lord, the Lord Almighty will offer sacrifice. ذَبِيحَةِ فِي أَرْضِ الشَّمَالِ إِلَى جِوَارِ نَهْرِ الْفُرَاتِ Where is this? He says, for the Lord, the Lord Almighty will offer sacrificed in the land of the north by the river of Furat, Nahr al-Furat. So Allah, according to the Old Testament, has a person, has a revenge 
because of a person who was killed uh, near Nahr al-Furat, okay? the river of al-Furat where Imam Hussein was killed. Now read the history. Do you see anybody, any famous person who was killed near the al-Furat? Okay. No, the sword here in this hadith means it refers to Imam Mahdi according to our belief. The sword here refers to Imam Mahdi according to our belief. Okay. Yeah, and those who, the brothers asking, who will come at that time? We have many hadiths that speak about this. I'll just mention one hadith, which says that uh, those who will come in, in that time are those who are very great people who will never turn, uh, who will never change. They will never be bad. And also bad people who will never be good. Okay, this is one example of those people who will be uh, coming in the future. Is this what you're asking, Brother Firuz? Okay, I think this is what you said. Yes, okay. Okay, the mic is yours, Brother Mahsan. The mic is yours. Thank you, Mawlai. The is uh, there is a question uh, more that I have uh, some people uh, when when we discuss with Christians about this issue they uh, some claim that the prophets before have uh, died or were slaughtered uh, near the uh, Euphrates River so um I don't know, have you heard this issue? Do you know uh, anything about it? Uh, take the mic uh, Yes, brother, this is what I said. I said, according to our belief, after we looked all those proofs, the Muslim proofs and the Christian proofs, we come to this conclusion, that the most famous person, who was very close to Allah, who is worthy of a revenge, that Allah will have uh, revenge against those who killed him was Imam Hussain. Okay. If they can prove something else, that let them bring those proofs and we can study it. Okay, but whatever they say, it is only based on their books. And when I looked at their their they give two examples what I've seen. They they did not prove that it was that they were killed beside Nahr al Furat. Okay, this is one. Number two, when we ask them this question, they cannot answer it. First one, when is Allah going to revenge, to have revenge? Okay, this verse speaks about the future, not about the past. Okay, and also second thing, don't they always speak about God, that He is loving, prophets don't kill, and so on? We say that this against to against your belief as Christians. Okay. So, when we look at all these proofs, we see that the best example is Imam Hussain. By the way, we're not relying on uh, Bible verses. We're not relying on this. No, no. We're just mentioning it. We rely on our sources, on Quran and our Hadith. People should know this, that when we bring a, a proof, 
either from the Bible or from Sunni books, we are not relying on them. They are just a proof to convince those people, not more than that. And they might be Okay, thank you, Mulai. Um The next question, question number 14, says, is the bad eye something in Islam whoever, uh, who, whenever something bad happens people say oh somebody bad eyed you or something I first would reject it completely because I wouldn't think it's true but somebody told me that we have hadith from the Prophet about it and then people uh, fall in a mistake on knocking on wood as if it protects you if it is true, then seeking protection through Ayatul Kursi works, I guess, but not the wood. Okay, Mawla. I think it's, uh, when someone bad eyes you, I think it's jealousy. Uh, yes, brother, I think they're talking about hasad. Hasad. Uh, which is close to jealousy. It is close to it. Okay. The answer is, we don't have a hadith that says we have to knock on the wood. This is a Christian thing. Okay, it's not an Islamic thing, no. Our hadith does not tell you to knock on the wood, so don't do it. But what we have in our sources is that, yes, the evil eye, or the hasad, okay, uh, we do believe in it, and it was mentioned in Quran and the narration, I will just mention two verses, and that's it. Just to prove that it does exist, but knocking on the wood is something that is not in our sources. The first proof is in Surah number 113, verse number 5. Okay, that a person can have an evil eye and can affect people because of it. And the second Surah is Surah number 68, verse 51. By their eyes, they can affect you with it. Okay, so these are two verses that you can refer to but again knocking on the wood is not something that is Islamic the question number 15 I think okay this whole issue about istikhara was this really a means put by Allah for us just to open the Quran and get answers also are we supposed to practice it or did we innovate it inshallah we didn't innovate it. Mawla, I take the mic. No, we did not innovate this. Actually, all our scholars agree on it. Let me mention one of the scholars who mentioned this. Mawla uh, Muhammad Salih al-Mazandarani, when he explained Al-Kafi, Usul Al-Kafi, volume 11, page 283, he said, That all Shia agreed that istikhara on Quran, using Quran to do istikhara is allowed. Now what does, what does it mean? Istikhara, let me read some of the, uh, some quotations from our scholars. One is in Surat al-Najat, for Sheikh Mirza Jawad al-Tabrizi, volume 3, page 311, under number 969, question number 969, al-Tabrizi over there says, that الاستخارة في المصحف الشريف مروية في مورد التخير لعنوان المشورة مع الله سبحانه إذا تردد أمر الشخص بين أمرين He says استخارة is like you are asking Allah for his opinion on, on a subject 
Okay? So this is what it means. You are referring to Allah. When, when, is, when is the time that you do this? I'll, I'll read Sayyid Al-Khamna'i's answer. In his book, Ajubat Al-Istifta'at, Volume 2, page 122. Question 360. He says over there, the answer was, نعم إنما يرجع إلى الاستخارة عند التردد والحيرة He says you do استخارة when you are confused okay. and not able to make a decision حيث لا يقدر الشخص المتحير على اتخاذ القرار and he is unable to make decision ولا معنى لها في غير هذه الصورة and there is no reason to do it in other than this situation okay. And then in question 361, the same source, he says, في الأمور التي يريد الإنسان أن يتخذ قرارا بشأنها when someone wants to make a decision, ينبغي أن يتأمل ويدقق النظر فيها أولا. He must think of it and uh, ask people about it. أو يستشير فيها أهل الثقة والخبرة بها. Ask those who have experience. فإذا لم يرتفع بذلك كله التحير فيمكنه أن يستخير after doing all of this if he cannot make up his decision cannot, cannot make up his mind then he can refer to fear okay. in the narration is it mentioned? yes وسائل الشيعة volume 6 page 233 حديث number 1 Imam Sadiq says over there that you open the Quran and you look in the beginning of the page, whatever it says, go ahead and do it. Okay? Another one is in Bihar al-Anwar, volume 88, page 241, hadith number 1. It says, إِذَا أَرَدْتَ أَنْ تَتَفَأَلْ بِكِتَابُ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَقْرَأْ سُورَةِ الْإِخْلَاسِ ثَلَاثِ مَرَّاتِ Read, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهِ رَحَدْ three times. Then, say اللهم صلى الله عليه محمد وعلى محمد three times. Then read this, this dua. Allahumma tafa'altu bi kitabik wa tawakkaltu alayk fa'arini min kitabik ma huwa maktoon min surrika al-maknoon fi ghaybik. This is a dua. Then he said, thumma iftah al-jama' wa khud al-fal min khat al-awwal fi al-janab al-awwal. Then open the Quran and read it. Read what it says in the beginning. Okay. This scholar, after mentioning this, he said, kada awrida musnadan ila Rasulullah. He said, this is how it was mentioned connected to Prophet Muhammad. Okay, and inshallah this answers it. The main point that I make here is that, according to our scholars, it says that when you cannot make up your mind, then you refer to khir. You don't do it every day. You, I mean, you don't do it in every situation. Otherwise, you're going to see that our maraja' will do it, for example, when they do, when they want to reach a fatwa. Why do they have to go and look for the proof? They can just use khir. And this is not true. You use it whenever you cannot make up your mind after asking those who have experience, then you can use the istikhar. Okay, and the mic is yours forever. Well, I have a few follow-up questions on this issue. Um, why are there so many ways of doing istikhar? I mean, why have the imams given us uh, so many... Uh, ways in, in doing this I mean uh, why could it be just one way just like uh, prayer or homes or zakat or whatever why are there so many different ways of doing istikhara uh, take that one 
Okay, brother, I'm not sure actually why. It, there, are, the, there are two possibilities. One is maybe the, uh, some of the narrations are weak, maybe. Okay? This is one possibility. That uh, one, were, one were mentioned with authentic chain, and I know one that was mentioned in authentic chain, which was talking about Salat al-Istikhara, when you pray and make Istikhara through praying. Okay, this was mentioned in authentic chain. The rest I couldn't find an authentic chain for them. So this is one possibility. Another possibility which I think is better. That uh, there are many ways uh, and not anybody can do them. If you read, if you go read the hadith, you're going to see that there are some ways that are very hard to do. Okay. And maybe someone is in a hurry. He cannot do two rak'ah right now. He wants a, big, a quick answer. So a quick answer, he can use Quran. Okay? But those who have great faith, who have great connection with Allah, when they do Salat al-Istikhara, for example, they really feel if this thing is good or not. However, someone who has a lot of sins, he may not feel this, uh, whether something is good or not. Because when you do Salat al-Istikhara, then it is a feeling that comes to you. To do or not to do. Okay? And not anybody has this power, so maybe this is the reason why there are more than one way to do istikhara. It depends on the person who's going to make it. And they might do it. Okay. Well, I, uh, over here, um, uh, when we, uh, for example, uh, as I remember when growing, growing up, people, when, when they uh, wanted to take istikhara, start taking istikhara for other people or for themselves, they'd go to uh, a, a very knowledgeable person and read the uh, Allah and Alhamd, and that person would would say if this person is capable of doing uh, istikhara, which which would uh, you know uh, tell him what to do or tell uh, others what to do. Mulay, uh, is this a correct way? Have, have you seen any of this? Uh, is this way uh, mentioned in our hadith? Uh, take the mic. Okay, brother. Uh, no, I did not see it mentioned in the hadith that if you want to do istikhara, then go to a person to do it for you. No, most of the hadith that I've seen says that you do it by yourself. However, the hadith never said that it is haram to go to a person uh, who has good faith. Since it never said it's haram, then there is no problem in doing it. So those who go to scholars or go to believers and ask them to do istikhara for them, there is no problem with this. The hadith never said, don't do it. Okay, the mic is yours. Okay. Well, uh, no, uh, I meant uh, as, as a rite of passage, for example, to taking istikhara, uh, the person has to make sure that uh, when you read the surahs, uh, they are uttered in the correct way, so that when you take istikhara, it is done in the correct way, uh, rather than uh, reading the surah incorrectly, and uh, the answer maybe the answer being uh, incorrect. Uh, take the microphone. Uh, yes, brother. You mean to interpret the verse? Yes, this is correct, and actually it is mentioned in our hadith that the person who is going to make istikhara, he must be able to understand the, the, the verses. 
right? Otherwise, he's not going to be he's not going to be able to interpret the verses whether to do the thing or not, or whether it is a good thing or not. Okay, so yes, you are right. You have to refer to a person who is able to read Quran correctly and understand it correctly. Okay, thank you, Mawlai. Uh, another, forgive me for asking so many questions. Another follow-up question. Well, uh, for example, Bukhari, uh, he himself says, uh, the Sunni scholar, he himself says that I, uh, I, I read, uh, you know, I did istikhara for all the hadith. I, re- I researched, then I took istikhara to, to whether to put it or not to put it in the book. And, and uh, you know, look at the bad results, you know, uh, in the book. You see lots of wrong things. So, I mean, how, how is it possible to uh, trust it when, when, when a scholar himself uh, looks at the hadith and, and is confused whether they are right or wrong, and uh, then he... He takes a stakhara and, and he, he does it, he gets uh, incorrect uh, answers. So, Mawlai, uh, take them uh, Yes, brother, actually, the problem is not with the stakhara, the problem is with, with Al Bukhari. He is not a reliable person. See, for example, he says that in my book, I will only narrate authentic hadith. But then you see that he, he weakens narration, narrators who he narrates from in Al Bukhari. Okay, so this is a contradiction. Do you narrate only from reliable people? He says yes. How come you narrate from this person? We can bring from many sources that he weakened this narrator and that narrator, and then you find out that he narrates from him in Al Bukhari as well. So the problem is with Al Bukhari and not with Al Istikhar. Okay, the Okay, well, thank you. Uh, also, another question. I mean, why uh, why can't we use istikhara um, for uh, let's say? Um, or I should ask, uh, can we use istikhara for financial gains uh, if we're not sure what <coughs> what? Uh, let's say what uh, which house to choose or what item to buy or you know for business purposes uh, you know can we use it and if not why can't we use it uh, when I take the mic no the answer is you can use it okay just one thing that our scholars mentioned is that you use it after you go to people who have the experience so first ask those who know about the business. They may give you the answer. Okay. After that, just uh, use the sikhar if you cannot make up your mind. And the mic is yours. Thank you, Mullah, for the answer. Uh, there is a question by Ahmed. He says, I just want to let you know first that I admire your logic about our religion and the way you debate and give out very interesting lectures. Anyways, there has been always a question on my mind and I would like to hear your viewpoint about this issue. This issue is about paradise or Jannah. Uh, Inshallah, all of us will gain interest to it. 
But what I'd like to know is, for example, the Hur al-Ain, I heard that Huris are of white skin complexion and have large eyes. I mean, maybe I like women with other, uh, other than white skin complexion or with other qualities. Also in various hadith, it is said that each inhabitant, inhabitant of paradise will have huge mansions built with gold and silver blocks. What if my wish was to have a small beach house on white shores, like the ones in Tahiti, Hawaii, etc. I mean, I only hear that there are rivers in paradise, but I didn't hear about it in any beaches. Maybe I like beaches more than rivers. My point question slash question is, are the characteristics of Jannah imposed on its inhabitants, or are they given things that they want? I'd really love to hear. Thank you very much for your precious time in, in, in advance. Okay, Molai, that is the question. Okay, take the mic, Molai. Okay, see, he asked about three things. Uh, or actually, yeah, three things. One is about Hur al-Hin. He, he is giving, he is given one type, but he likes the other. Another one is about the river. Maybe he doesn't like the river. He likes the beach. Maybe the beach is bigger. I don't know. And the third issue is about the castles. He doesn't like castles. He likes small houses. <laughs> so, he's, this is his concern. Right, being picky. The other is this thing. When you go to the verses and the hadith, there's only one, one verse is enough. I don't need to speak a lot about it. I'm just going to give one example. See in Surah number 41, verse 31, it says, This is regarding Jannah. You're going to have over there whatever you like. Okay, Not whatever the angels like for you. No, whatever you like. And whatever you want, you can just claim it over there, and you will have it. So this answers the whole question. If, if they give you a castle, you can change it. If they give you something that you don't like, you can change it. If they give you a river, you can change it. Just keep the receipt. <laughs> this is just advice. Just keep the receipt, inshallah, you will be covered. Just let me mention two two hadith about this topic. He had a problem with the, with Al-Anhar, with the rivers. Maybe to him it was small. Actually it is not small. When you go to Jama' Al-Akhbar, page 126, and also this hadith is mentioned in Bihar Al-Anwar, volume 8, page 146, hadith number 71. It says, سُؤَلَ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنْ أَنْهَارِ الْجَنَّةِ كَمْ عَرَبْ كُلُّ نَهْرٍ مِنْهَا What is the width of the river of Al-Jannah? Do you think that if you sit in a side, you're going to see the other side? Prophet Muhammad says, Arz kullu nahrun masirat khamsumaat am. That the width of the river of the Jannah, you, it will take you 500 years to pass it. Okay? Then he says, Yadur tahta al-qusur wal-hujub. Tata ghanna amwajuha. 
وتسبح وتطرب في الجنة كما يطرب الناس في الدنيا. He says that the water, the sound of the water over there, actually it sings. Okay? It is just about the, it's singing. Just like you're sitting in a room with surround sound system. Okay? You will see song comes from everywhere. This is the river, so it's not bad. It's nice. The other one is about the castle. Uh, he doesn't like castle, maybe he likes small house. The answer is yes, you can have this. And actually, Imam Ali and the Prophet Muhammad, they have small house over there. See in Bihar Al-Anwar, volume 39, page 226. It says, Prophet Muhammad told Umar, Ya Umar, inna fil jannah la shajar, la shajar, ma fil jannah qasr, wala dar, wala manzil, wala majlis, illa wa fihi ghusl min aqlam tilka shajar. He says, O oh, Umar, Prophet Muhammad told Umar, in, in heaven, there is a tree uh, which reaches to every castle, house, room, and living room. Okay, so not only castles do exist in, in heaven, also rooms. Then he says, أصل تلك الشجرة في داري, that this uh, tree is planted in my room, Fidari, okay, in my house. Then he said, after three days, he said the same thing to Omar, however, he told him that this tree was planted in the, in the house of Imam Ali. Omar told him, this is a contradiction. Is it in your house, or is it the house of Imam Ali? Was it planted in your house, or the plant? Or was it planted in the house of Imam Ali? Prophet Muhammad answered him, Ya Umar, Ama alimta anna manzili wa manzil Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam fil jannati wahid. He said, didn't you, that, didn't you know that my house and the house of Imam Ali in heaven is one? Didn't you know this? So according to this hadith, Imam Ali and Prophet Muhammad has a house, not a castle. Nothing that they don't have castles. They do, for sure. But if you like uh, house, maybe you're not the only one. And also with the river, they are big rivers. And in the end, they are all, uh, how, how can I say this? Debatable. Debatable, is it debatable? That you can still go to the angels and tell them, no, this is not what I ordered. You can order something else. Okay, and the mic is yours, brother. Go ahead. Okay, Allah, Muhammad, Muhammad. And Mullah, do we know how long the order would take? Inshallah, it wouldn't take long. Mullah, uh, uh, thank you for answering uh, all of the questions uh, on behalf of Shia lectures and and uh, our listeners. I'd like to thank you, and Inshallah, you will join us in the future and answer our questions. Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Okay, alhamdulillah. Oh, uh, brother Abu Yaqeen, do you have anything to say before you leave? Uh, take the mic, Mawlai. Yes, brother, just thank you for the invitation and thanks for adding me in your website. I, inshallah, I hope that your. Uh, website become bigger and bigger and that you can get 
more lectures to show it to others. Inshallah, those lectures will be benefit and a benefit for many people. The idea is very great. I like the idea to have those lectures that are in English. I'm sure that people will need such lectures. And the idea to have a person to answer the questions for people in audio, actually it is a, it is a smart idea, which I'm sure they will, it will be a successful part of your website, inshallah. And to finish the tonight, today's meeting, or tonight's meeting, I will mention one more hadith that is narrated by Imam al-Rada, which says, مجتمع جماعة من شيعتنا يتذاكرون الله إلا نادى المنادي ما بين السماء والأرض أن بدلوا سيئاتهم حسنات الحديث من إنجلش is no group of Shia gather with each other and speak about Allah unless if there will be a person who yells between the sky and the earth and say change their sins to good deeds okay, inshallah this uh, goes for us for you and for everybody who listen to this audio tape inshallah and everybody who visit your website ok and inshallah to our next meeting see you in the future see you the answer questions uh, on behalf of sha'alectures.net again on behalf of sha'alectures.net and all our listeners I'd like to thank you and inshallah hope you uh, answer our questions in the future and uh, perhaps give us lectures inshallah uh, brothers and sisters if you have uh, any questions for the future if you have any questions you'd like to ask Brother Abu Yaqeen for the future, please uh, send an email to Abu Yaqeen at shialectures.net. Abu Yaqeen at shialectures.net. It's A B U Y A Q E E N at shialectures.net, inshallah. Uh, and also, if you have any comments, uh, if you want to ask any more questions, uh, please do do not hesitate to do so. Okay, this is a free service, and uh, you will be, inshallah, given the answer and be re rewarded uh, by Allah for, and inshallah, you will get thawab for your answers. Uh, thank you, Mawlai, and uh, fear man